Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Brandon Anderchuk. Brandon is the Executive Director of Hope's Path, an organization in Spring, Texas that works with young men aging out of foster care. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Lynn. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, you're very welcome. I hope you had a good holiday. We just got through with Thanksgiving. Yes, it was a wonderful Thanksgiving spent with my family here in Texas. Good. Good. Yes, you're in Texas, Spring, Texas, right? Yes, ma'am. About 30 miles north of Houston. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Some people might be familiar with Houston and Dallas and be able to picture those. So appreciate that. Well, to get started here, what I would like to do is ask you to please, Brandon, share a little bit about your own background and what journey you took that brought you to working at Hope's Path. Wow. Well, that's kind of a complicated question. My own background, I am a military veteran, so I served eight years in the Army. Oh, thank you for your service. Absolutely. It was a joy. And after the military, I went to school and I studied criminal justice. And the goal was to work with at-risk youth. So I got my criminal justice, my associate's degree in criminal justice. And this was in Oregon. I was living in Oregon, by the way, after the military. That was where I was born and raised. And I took a job working at a program called the Oregon Youth Challenge Program. It's like a military-style high school for at-risk youth. It's a residential program. And I was like a drill sergeant position. Okay. And I worked at that program for almost 10 years. And in that time, I had several thousand students, or what we call cadets, come through our program. But it was a great experience working with a marginalized population. And during that time working there, I went to school online and got my bachelor's degree in human services administration and got my master's degree in executive leadership. And I didn't know at the time, but the Lord was setting up for right after COVID, my family packed up, sold everything we owned in Oregon, decided to hit the road, thought we were going to go to Florida for a better life, but ended up in Texas. Did you get lost along the way or was there a job opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) Neither, actually. We just kind of left with our best friends who kind of did the same thing. And I just actually emailed a bunch of churches in this area. We found the Woodlands, Texas. It's one of the number one communities to raise a family in the country. And I have three little kids. And I emailed about 30 different churches in the area with my resume saying, don't know anyone. Here's my experience. I'm looking for a job, maybe in the nonprofit sector maybe in local government, working with people, working with marginalized populations. And I got a response from my resume was passed on to the former executive director of Hope's Path, telling me that he was retiring and they were looking for a replacement. I had never heard of this organization, never heard of the concept of aged out foster youth, but did a lot of research, did three rounds of interviews with the board of directors. And I've been with this organization since April of 2022. Okay, so relatively recent. Yes, ma'am. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on getting the position. Thank you. It's opened up my eyes a lot to just the foster care world, the troubles these people go with, and then what happens when someone ages out of foster care. 
Yes. There are a lot of challenges. So many. Well, before we talk about Hope's Path, because that's going to be our next step, I did want to ask a question that crossed my mind. What are your thoughts on the military as an avenue for young people aging out of foster care? Oh, my goodness. I think it is a wonderful opportunity. I remember when I was in the military, I met young men and women who had grown up in foster care, who were just trying to have a better life. But the military provides this structure. It provides free food, housing experiences, travel, job experience, free college, just all these experiences and these resources that you might not have gotten growing up in foster care. So I am a big advocate for the military. I appreciate that. I have Army, Navy, and Air Force in my family. So I absolutely see the benefits and the opportunity there for young people. And I'm a big proponent of that, as well as the trades. Yes, absolutely. Not that college isn't great. College is great. It's a wonderful, as far as statistically goes, your salary and what you're going to be earning over your lifetime. College is a fantastic way to go. But you know what? It's not necessarily the right path for everybody. No, it's not. And I agree with you. College is great. It's a wonderful opportunity. And maybe it comes later on in life. For me, college wasn't something right out of high school. It was later on. And, you know, there is nothing wrong with going into the military or going into a trade and exploring what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always found it very interesting that you expect young people without any life experience to choose their degree, spend four years earning it. I mean, they're taking a guess. Yeah. As to what they want to do in life, they don't really know. I mean, yet some young people really do. Yeah. But I would say most don't. I wonder how many people out there are not working in the area that they got their degree in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how do you know? How can you know without some life experience? Yep. Well, I think <laughs> my wife, who is, my wife got her, she went to Clemson University at 18 years old and got her bachelor's degree in parks and recreation tourism management. She did wedding planning for a couple years, but that's not what she was passionate about. She thought she would like it. Fast forward later, she ended up getting her master's degree in teaching, and now she's a teacher. You just never know what life is going to throw at you and what direction you're going to go in. Exactly. So maybe for young people, maybe potential advice would be consider either going into the military. It's not a lifetime commitment. I think depending on the branch, it might be three years at a time or so. Mm -hmm. Then get some life experience or a trade, like right out of high school, go into a trade, earn money, right? Yes. Don't go into the debt that college is going to put you in. Figure out what you want to do and then pursue college if that indeed is the avenue that you think is right for you. I think to me, that makes so much sense. Yes. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> and that's something we can talk a little bit later about how <laughs> as part of our workforce development program Okay, is that you know, we help our young men at Hope's Path. Maybe some of them are college bound. A lot of them aren't. But figuring out what do you want to do career-wise? Where can we help you gain those skills? Is it at a trade school? Is it an apprenticeship? Is it on the job experience or OJT? You know, so helping those guys figure that out. Yeah. And I think also helping young people understand that the dream job isn't going to fall in your lap at 18. You've got to work toward it, right? And there might be, you know, lower level positions that you have to work, gain experience, work your way up. And with patience and with perseverance, then you could potentially get there. Yes. 
but I think unfortunately a lot of young people just expect the dream job to just be there. Yep. <laughs> Although it's funny, I got to talk about this because and maybe some other organizations have seen this with the young people they serve. And we've seen it with a couple of the young guys at our program with the dream job being the social media influencer. Oh, yes. You've heard that term? Oh, yes. I know that. It's the huge percentage of young people. That's their goal. Yes. And we have one of the services we provide is uh, case management services. And we have a our program director helps these guys with, does weekly case management services. And we've had a couple of young guys come through that that's their life ambition is being a social media influencer. And that's how they're going to make their riches. And he's like, oh, hold up, hold up. You know, let's take steps for practical employment. Mm-hmm. You know, and- exactly. Well, it's my niece. I mean, not in foster care, but my niece wanted to be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And we had similar conversations with her as, you know, that's great. You've got a great voice. I think it's something you should pursue. Let's discuss a backup plan. Yes. (laughs) Because, well, that was before COVID too. And now she is, she wants to be on stage, but she's primarily looking at a uh, music business degree where she's doing a lot of like editing and things like that to potentially get her foot in the door in something. So it's just something that young people need to realize is a lot of these things are great, you know, getting in the NFL or the NBA, mm-hmm. right? They're great goals to have and certainly work toward them, but have a backup plan or an, a parallel plan. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, you're right. We could continue talking about this, but I want to hear about Hope's Path. Uh, you've already alluded to something that you do. So let's just dive in. What is your mission and what's your structure? How big are you? How many staff? All of that good stuff. Yeah, good question. So Hope's Path, we are a faith-based nonprofit organization, or what we could say a Christ-centered organization. We provide a place of healing for young men ages 18 to 28 who have aged out of the foster care system and or are homeless. So our primary residents are aged out, but if we have a young man who's homeless and maybe didn't technically grow up in foster care, we're not going to necessarily deny them from our program. Okay. But we provide a place of healing in a Christ-centered home for these young adults to gain skills for successful independent living. We have a 10,000 square foot home, a 10 bedroom house, like we already said in Spring, Texas, where these young men live. We're a small staff. There's three of us. Myself as the executive director. We have Catherine, who's our business administrator, with our books, our front desk, kind of all those, my assistant, those kind of tasks. And then Ted is our program director and he does our admissions. He has his master in social work. And so he provides individualized case management for every young man that comes through the door as well. And so the three of us work together. And right now we have six young men in the house at capacity. We can serve 10 at one time. So we have, we do have openings. It's important at Hope's Path. In the past, it's been set up where there was roommates in the rooms, so they could double up, but we've changed that structure a little bit to where every young man gets their own room. And I can go into that a little bit later, why we do that. We offer a workforce development program. So unless a young man is in high school, which are like right now, one of our residents is a senior in high school, it's expected that you guys work or go to college. So sitting around all day is not an option because, again, our bottom line and our mission is to set them up for successful independent living. 
So the average stay here at Hope's Path is anywhere from a year and a half to three years. Each young man is on their individual growth track. You know, the 18-year-old is going to be in a little bit different goals than like a 25-year-old would be to gain those skills. But we work with about 30 different organizations for job placement, the local community college, work faith, a faith-based organization for job training, resume writing. We just have all kinds of partners that help these guys to seek employment, to interview practicing, and to find jobs. And then we do a weekly life skills classes. So we have a headed up by one of our board directors. Every Thursday night, we have a team of teachers that come in, sometimes up to like a half a dozen of them that rotate. And they teach anything from leadership classes to character development to we have guest speakers like the Houston Police Department, fitness gurus, people that have an incredible life story of resilience come in and, and that's a program requirement. On Tuesday nights, we have our financial literacy program. We have a gal that comes in and teaches the basics of budgeting based off Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. So these guys get the basics of writing a budget, saving money, and then the more senior guys, they get into investing money and how that works. Very important. Very important. And then we always tell people one of the unique aspects of Hope's Path that sets us apart from other programs is... With the exception of high school students, like I said, every young guy is expected to work. The young men in our program pay rent. They pay rent to be here. And rent is $350 a month. We got that number because if you were to rent a room in a house in our zip code, it would be about $700 a month. So we just cut that in half. The cool thing, Lynn, is upon successful completion of our program, and these guys are ready to move on. And we don't mean successful independent living, like they need to go get their own place, but like whether it's with a roommate or just ready to move on to be on their own from here. Once they're ready to move on, we work out a payment plan where they get all their money that they paid in rent, they get back. And on average, over the years that we've been in existence, that averages out between eight and $10,000. Do you give it to them in a lump sum or you set a payment plan that maybe they get it on a kind of a regular basis? We've done both. It kind of, it's each man, it kind of depends on where they're at okay, and how we work it out. And if they leave on unfavorable terms, meaning they got discharged from the program for violating our drug and alcohol policy, or they just up and left or whatever, and they know this coming in, by the way, then all the money that they've paid into becomes a donation to Hope's Path because they were just using those as a rental. Okay. Wow. So it's, they know for them, it's an incentive to work the program and really better their lives. Absolutely. That's a big motivation. Yep. And then our Ted, our program director, and services don't just stop at, you know, once we say goodbye. He also does post-graduation follow-up care and case management services too. And, you know, the, the guys are allowed to come back and have dinner here, have access to our food pantry if they need help and you know, we're always that family support and that program support for them. You say you have a food pantry? We do. Like an internal food pantry. We're not open to the public or anything. Sure. So when Ted does trainings, do you call them a TED Talk? <laughs> That's good. I should. You would like that. You should. <laughs> Just be careful. You know, you don't want copyright no, infringement no, 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 there. <laughs> copyright wow, this is amazing. All right. So. And so you've probably heard me say, so we specifically serve young men. Yes. 
So that's our focus. Why did you choose young men versus young women? The chairman of our board, his name is Brian, and he's a pastor at a local church here in the area. When Hope's Path was put on his heart several years ago, serving young men was just what the Lord led him to. In Texas, on average, about 1,800 young adults age out every year. Of those 1,800, a little more than 1,000 of those are young men. And so it was just put on their hearts. Not to say we work closely with organizations that serve women. And where a lot of people say, well, is Hope's Path going to go towards girls or young ladies? You know, we don't know yet. The Lord has not given us a clear answer. Right now, it's just we support and we resource with other organizations that serve young ladies right now. Yeah, I think that there are interesting statistics out there about young men and the challenges they face Mm -hmm. aging out of foster care. I know that one of the, well, at least college specific, you typically hear the statistic that about 3% of young people who go to college actually graduate. Mm -hmm. That's typically the percentage that is shared. Well, when you look at the long-term evaluation of young people aging out, I think it turns out to be about 1% is young men. And I think it's closer to like 6 or 7% are young women. Mm-hmm. So more of that percentage averaged are young women who are succeeding and graduating than young men for whatever reasons, right? Different reasons behind that. Well, but I just feel like the young men may have they're different challenges, but maybe greater challenges. Yeah. I know the young women have their own challenges. Oh, yeah. The pregnancy oh, yeah. rate of young ladies coming out of foster care is very high, oh, yeah. which creates a whole you know, other set of issues and challenges for them. But I don't know if you, in your research, if you've come across anything in particular around that. No, yeah. We just know that the, especially young men in fatherlessness too. Mm-hmm. And we can mm-hmm. talk about that too. And Yeah. Well, it's a cycle that keeps repeating itself yep. with the fatherlessness. And if you have a chance to work with young men and try to instill in them the importance of having a father, I mean, really, look at the statistics. They don't lie that young people, boys and girls, that have a father in the home yep. do much better in their lives than those who don't. Yep. One thing we've been really working hard to do too in our life skills classes is for a while, and it's a cultural thing at Hope's Path as well, the team of teachers was primarily men and men investing in these young men and teaching these young men, which is great, you know, and teaching these young men how to be successful men. But one thing we've done at Hope's Path as well is recently we've grown our board of directors from five men to five men and three women. And we've been including a lot more women in our life skills classes as well as teachers, because we also want to teach these young guys how to have a positive relationship, a healthy relationship with women. Mm-hmm. Sure. And not in a romantic way, obviously. Right. But in a healthy way, you know. Well, you want that as well, yeah. <laughs> you know, when yes. they get one, but I know what you mean. Yep. And a lot of these women too are married. And talk about what they want and like what they expect from their husbands and what a good relationship, marriage relationship looks like, you know, what they expect from their husbands as fathers. And it's good for these young guys to hear this from both men and women. And so it's been awesome to see that kind of cultural change on our side. I love hearing that because it's not just teaching young people how to cook, how to balance a checkbook. All of that is very important. 
But the relationship side of it, that's the one key factor that helps young people succeed in life. Having a supportive adult in their life during the transition years, but truly throughout life, being able to have healthy relationships is so, so important. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. That's one thing at Hope's Path. One thing we don't have are large statistical numbers that some food banks have. We can't say we've graduated 5,000 young men and we've done this and we've done that. We have great numbers for us, but we're relational-based, not transactional-based here at Hope's Path. For us, a win would be a young man developing a relationship with his mentor, going to church and getting baptized. That's a huge win because that's a relational component. Right. Actually, that brought me to a question that I wanted to ask you. You said you're faith-based or Christ-centered. Yes. Is there an expectation that the young men you work with have the same beliefs? How does that work? So that's a really good question. No. We make it very clear from the get-go that when from when a young man applies for a program that we are a Christ-centered organization. Some of the young guys will be like, well, sir, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe in Jesus, or you guys are going to force religion down my... We hear that a lot. Are you going to force religion down my throat? No. But what we are going to do, we are going to pray for you. We are going to incorporate Bible verses and scripture are going to be incorporated in our life skills classes. They're going to open up in prayer. We do ask every young man, and I, I didn't even say this at the beginning, I should have... We call our residents, by the way, we call them interns. Oh, okay. Because they're interning to better their lives. So each of our interns has a primary mentor and then secondary mentors. So we call them their board of directors. But we do require their primary mentors to believe in Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. Just to plant those seeds. And then the ideal end is that we're just planting seeds and that, right. and that fruit will be born from it. Okay. So to answer your question, no, not all of our guys believe in Jesus, but we've seen a lot of guys come to know Jesus through our program or start to ask questions. Yeah. Well, maybe there is a God. And even that exploration. Yes. Is important, right? Try to figure out, you know, from not believing to, well, let me think about it. (laughs) What beliefs are out there? We have a young man in our program that's from a reservation in Montana. And needless to say, he did not grow up in a Christian home or believing in Jesus and was pretty resistant to it when he got to Hope's Path. But now that he's been here a little over two years, he is engaging in prayer now in life skills classes, even reading scripture with the life skills teachers. Okay. Pretty powerful. Well, I was going to ask how you find your youth. And it's kind of an overlap with this discussion because you might get referrals, but do you have other organizations that are faith-based that are referring youth to you or maybe that are not faith-based that help prepare the young people for this environment that you have there? So we get, that's a good question, we get our youth from an array of all kinds of places, from other agencies in this area that work with foster care kids, to aging out foster care kids. I believe it's over 50% of our applications just come from a Google search by a young man just Googling a place to live, and they come across Hope's Path. From our church partners to one of our newest partners, I told you I worked at that program in Oregon, the Oregon Youth Challenge Program. We recently partnered with the Texas Challenge Academy, which is the sister program 
the program I worked for. And so we actually have one of their former graduates as one of our interns now. Ted is also our recruiter. And we just work really hard to get our word out there. And so we just get all our referrals from many different agencies. That's great. Before we move on, I just wanted to ask one question because I've never actually had the opportunity to ask this question. I have seen articles, I don't want to say a ton, maybe one or two, and I don't remember the states exactly, saying that, you know, the states are considering not letting foster parents, you know, be, I don't want to say that they can't be Christian, but maybe from a faith-based background, that there's concerns about that. How do you respond to people who might have concerns about a faith-based organization working with young people? I would tell them that there's no other way. I mean, the Bible calls us to take care of the orphans and the widowers. And that's what we're, I mean, biblically, we're call, we're doing what the Bible calls us to do. And Lynn, I think it's important to note, too, that Hope's Path, we are 100% funded by individual donors and churches and businesses. We take no money from the federal or state government. Oh, okay. For that reason, because we are not willing to lose or have to put the faith aspect aside to receive funds. We're not willing to separate church and state. Well, that's probably absolutely the best approach for the type of organization that you have. Then you don't get caught up in the politics. Exactly. Yeah. But as sisters, I have not read yet where they're asking foster parents not to be faith. And that doesn't surprise me, but I have not. I think I've only come across like one or two articles coming across my feed about it. And unfortunately, I can't think of the states right now, but I think it's, I don't know that there are any laws about it, but I think there are conversations about it. Yeah. And so reporters are starting to, you know, maybe put this out there. Uh, okay. I mean, it's not surprising in the world we live in. I think there's absolutely a place for it, right? Does every organization have to be faith-based? No, of course not. But I do believe there's a place for it. And again, you're just, it's not so much that you're proselytizing, but you're exposing young people to the faith. Yes. So that they at least have awareness about it and then they can make their own choices. All right, wonderful. So let me ask this. You had said earlier that every young person, every young man gets their own room, mm-hmm. and that's been a change for you, and you were going to go into why that is. Let's wrap back around to that yeah. and talk about why you made that decision. Yeah, let's talk about that. So if anybody knows anything about foster care, they probably know that, and it's no exception to our young men that we serve here, a lot of people who grew up in foster care, it's a situation where they're in a room with a lot of bunk beds, maybe several other foster care kids in a bunk bed room. And we did not want to do that. We wanted to give these young men their own space, their privacy, their own autonomy, and give them something to be proud of. And so in the past, Hope's Path was set up to have 14 residents, the way the rooms were set up. But we changed it around to go down to 10. But that was important to us. It also prevents drama, so to speak. You know, if you put the wrong people together or roommate situations. And plus these guys are, like I said, they pay rent to be here. And so we give them their own space. But a lot of it had to do again with that, just the trauma from being in foster care system of multiple bunk beds in a room, you know, can be triggered. Yeah, that's very institutional Yep, in its feel. And when I came here, there weren't any bunk beds in any rooms, but there were like four rooms set up with two beds in them. So we just got rid of that and went to every room, had its own room. Yeah. Yeah. It just occurred to me, you know, you could potentially 
offer the young men that if they wanted to room together, they could split their costs, but then that money is being saved for them later. So maybe, maybe they wouldn't want to do that. No, or not. <laughs> it's actually, it's pretty cool how the house is set up too, Lynn. It's so every young man gets their own room downstairs. The bathrooms, Jack and Jill. So every two rooms share a toilet and a shower. So every room even gets its own sink and walk-in closet. Oh, okay. That's nice. And then they share, which is probably the biggest drama here is they fight over who has to clean the bathroom. Or who <laughs> did the bathroom. And yeah. then upstairs, there's four bedrooms upstairs and two of the rooms have their own bathroom in them. And so our program director, based on kind of a merit system, who shows the most responsibility gets those. The rent doesn't change or anything, but gets those rooms. The nicer rooms. Yep. We're in the beginning stages of our first major expansion at Hope's Path. We've got our seed funding in place already, and we're in the permitting process now. So we sit on two acres out here in spring. We're going to be building a triplex project or a triplex unit. It's essentially going to be three tiny homes under one roof. Ah, okay. And the idea, Lynn, is because we've had some issues in the past where we've had some recidivism issues where these young men, we launch them into independence. Life's a little bit harder than they thought it would be, and they end up coming back to Hope's Path. And so to hopefully prevent that, we are developing the next step in the independent living process through our triplex project. This was started by the previous executive director, and he's leading this project. I'm just helping support it. The idea is that when the interns are ready to graduate and move out, they can lease one of the triplex units from us. This rent's going to be a little bit more. This money, they're not going to get back. This is like you're actually paying rent. Each unit's going to be metered for its own utilities. So they'll have electric bill, internet bill, and whatever. Each unit will have a washer and dryer, so they'll have their own little space, but they'll have program support right here. So they can come over and see me or Ted if they need to talk to us about something. They'll come over and get food if they want, come to life skills if they want, like we're right here. But if they don't want to, they don't have to. But it kind of the next step towards independent living. Would there be a limit as to how long they could stay there? Probably a year-long lease. All right. So we have our design. We are... Believe it or not, it has to have a fire suppression system. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> sure. we're in the permitting process of that portion of it right now. But we're super excited. It's our first big capital project and expansion. Now, was the home you're in, was that built to be Hope's Path? Or was that a building that was retrofitted for your needs? It was retrofitted for our needs. So it used to be a business with residential living on the second floor. And it was a big shop downstairs. And then when Hope's Path got it, and that's another blessing to our ministry, we're debt-free on our property and building. Nice. It was retrofitted. But the only thing original downstairs is the business entrance, double doors. From the outside, it looks just like a big home. But there's office spaces, and then there's a huge living room, commercial-sized kitchen, a classroom, a game room, all kinds of stuff. With all of the commercial sites and buildings that are empty still after COVID. I would hope that organizations that are thinking about moving or at least, you know, starting if they're forming their organization to consider retrofitting office space like that because not necessarily even just for residential, but to utilize that for the needs that you have there. I think there probably would be a lot of opportunities out there. 
Yes. Yeah, they absolutely. did a great job converting this building to what it is today. Oh, that's great. You know, it's funny too. I do quite a bit of tours every week for potential applicants or a lot of volunteers or even donors or anything. And I hear the same thing every single time when they walk in. And it's, wow, this is <laughs> not what I expected. And I always said, well, what did you expect? And people, and I always get, and it's funny, it's about a hundred percent of the time. It's, I don't know, but not this. I guess I expected <laughs> to be more, not prison-like, but institutional. Institutional. Yeah. Like a dorm or something. Like a dorm or gray walls and, but it's a home. <laughs> yeah. It's a home. And that's what we aim to provide to these young men. I mean, we call it a program, but not even a, we try not to use terms like work the program and do this. It's a home, your home. Well, when you're relational based, that is in alignment, right? Yep. You know, one of the the things we do with case management, we have to hold these guys accountable, obviously, when it comes to whether they pay rent later, cleaning up after themselves. You know, there's discipline factors that go into place here. But we hear all the time this term, are you going to kick me out? Are you going to kick me out? Why do you think they're conditioned to say that? Because it's happened. Because it's happened. Yeah. And it's going back to like, no, we're not going to kick you out. But let's talk about how we can improve this behavior. That term has stuck with me because I've heard it so many times now from numerous young men since I've been here. Are you going to kick me out? Which tells me how many times they've heard that term growing up. From their own family to the foster parents to group homes or who knows what. Yeah. I mean, how sad is that? It is. They mess up and they're going to get kicked out. Or obviously they've heard a lot of time. I'm going to kick you out if you do that again. Or I'm going to kick you out. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. They're probably not used to somebody's, you know, saying, no, yeah, you messed up, but we're going to help you through it. One young man we had, I was, and this just sticks with me. He's one young man that was like, hey, how many, you know, how many placements did you have in the foster care system? And he, he started counting one day on his finger. He got up to 14. He was naming all of them. And he's like, oh, at least 14 that I can remember. Maybe 15. Wow. Which is heartbreaking. Uh, that in and of itself creates so many problems. And I think it's a good segue into the question I wanted to ask, which is, what can the foster care system do better? How can we minimize the transitioning from home to home to home? And I know you probably asked a lot of your guests that, and maybe you've heard, I don't have the answer. But what I tell people when I hear that is, vet foster parents better. But they're desperate. They're desperate for foster parents. That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. Yeah. And unfortunately, too many foster parents out there. And foster parents, I mean, it's sad because a lot of them get that bad rap that they do it for the money. But a lot of them do. Yeah. I mean, they just do. That's It comes from reality. Yeah, it comes from reality. Yeah. But that would be... If there was a way to change the system, vet. Yeah. And if there was a way, and I wish that more churches took a stance on the foster care system, because not a lot of churches provide a foster care ministry. Some do, but the Bible is very clear that we are to take care of our orphans and our widows. Every church, I would imagine, could find at least one couple that would want to be foster parents. And then they could have the backing of the church if they need help with something or they need some kind of item for the young person or whatever the case may be. They've got a church 
there to help them that would have their back. Yes. And they can have three, four, five foster parent couples, right? Yes. And I would say, I think that would be a great, I don't not a solution, but definitely a good source, resource for help. If every church took a stand to help in the foster care industry or arena. Yeah. And if foster parents knew that they had that kind of support, yes, they might be less likely to say, I can't handle this young person. You're going to have to go. Yes. That's part of it, right? They don't feel like they're able to manage this young person. That's one of the challenges. Yeah. Another is really... It's a reverse. The young person doesn't like the foster parents. They don't like the rules. And so they either complain or they do something to get moved. Yep. So it does go both ways. It does. Lynn, I don't know if there is an answer. For me, it would be more churches getting involved and vetting foster parents better. So you could minimize the best you could the ones who are doing it just for the money. Yeah. Is paying foster parents more a possible avenue for being able to get better foster parents? Like, you know, the NFL, you pay more, you get the better quarterback. Yeah. Maybe not the NFL. That's a bad example, but <laughs> NBA. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if that's the answer either. I just, I've heard people raise that as a possible solution. I'm not sure if that is the answer, but. You know, I don't think so. No. If I can share something personal with you and my, my exposure to it, I have two daughters that are essentially from the foster care system. We adopted them when they were a newborn and two. We could not have imagined getting paid to keep them. We would have kept them forever, never getting paid a dime because we loved them so much, you know? So money was never a thing. So it's a matter, I guess, of sourcing from the right places. And finding the right people. And finding the right people. And churches is certainly one of those areas where you have people who really want to lead good lives, and to help others. Yes. And then if you just go further upstream, there's a lot of families that want to adopt out there. So if you go even further upstream to when the babies are born that are going to end up in the foster care system, if they could be adopted out beforehand, you know, to prevent them even going in the system. Well, making the adoption process easier, yep. less expensive. Yes. All of that, that would help. Yes. But really, it's the older youth that have the bigger problems. And to your numbers from earlier, I would imagine, even though it's tough to find homes, you know, adopted homes for teenagers, it's probably a little easier to find adopted homes for teenage girls than teenage boys just because of presumptions that are made. Yes. I don't have the stats for that. I'm just making a guess. No, no, it is, you know. And I think of one of the young guys that we've had in the past. You know, we got him near his 18th birthday because he turned 18. His foster family didn't want him anymore. The benefits ran out. You have an <laughs> empty bed. You need another foster youth to continue that. I don't know how you prevent that. Could you offer more money? They would gladly take more money, you know, but yeah. it's not the right hearts. I would think there could be kind of a, I don't know what to call it, but a, a tiered system. Like, okay, yeah, they're 18, but. When they've aged out, let's say 18 or 21, depending on where they are. I know there's extended foster care yes. in some, probably most states at this point. And there is in Texas as well. Yeah. But let's say, okay, you're a foster parent and you've got this young person. If you keep that young person past 18, we'll give you a little extra money for a few years, right? Till they're, what, 25? 
So if you keep that young person, you'll get a little extra money, which would motivate people to keep their homes open for these young people who need to have a little extra time to get their own life in order and ready to be independent. Maybe, but I think there's a lot of nonprofits too that work further upstream. You know, we're hopes have we're downstream. Yeah. You know, we're we're way downstream at this point. You know, I'm curious, what do your upstream I guess with AOI, you probably don't work with a lot of upstream. No, not really. People, you know. We have organizations that bridge, you know, high school with young people who have aged out, but I think most of them are after they've aged out. Well, partly because of the expectations if you're working with young people still in the foster care system, there are extra hoops that you have to go through. Yeah. But I would also say I agree with you too, making the adoption process easier. Even with foster care, I mean, how many stories do we hear too of? where you foster, but they go back to their bio family, then there's issues and they go back in the foster care system. And it's just a repetitive cycle. Yeah. I mean, there's so many challenges and I don't like to just point fingers and blame. I like to focus on solutions. It's just, it all takes money. It all takes, you know, investment of time to test the solution. I just, I wish California usually is pretty motivated to try new things for foster kids. I know that at least in one place in California, they're paying the kids a monthly amount. Okay. I can't remember the phrase for it, but at any rate, to help them transition, they're giving them a certain amount of money that is supposed to kind of supposedly supposed to supplement their own income to help them get by. So I don't know, California or Michigan or one of those states, just to take these ideas and just, you know, be a test case try them out in a city and see how it goes and hopefully it would spread. Well, I don't think we're going to solve it all today, Brandon. No, but and then (laughs) I would just encourage to the listeners of this podcast and other churches, because we believe in it, Lynn, and that the power of prayer and prayer is a powerful thing because the one thing that can solve it is God can solve it. And just praying for these kids And everybody can do that. Yes. And everybody can do that. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's an excellent place to end. But before we actually end our conversation, I would like to give you an opportunity to share your contact information. What is your website address and how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to? Yeah. So our website is www.hopespath.org. That's H-O-P-E-S-P-A-T-H.org. It's a great way. And that has all our emails on there, our phone number, and how people can get involved in our organization, learn all about us. Also, for people that are very curious about Hope's Path, there is a great five-minute video on our homepage that explains our organization wonderfully. And then it has great video of the house and what we look like as well. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Brandon. I've loved learning more about Hope's Path, and I hope that this plan for your triplex goes smoothly (laughs) (laughs) and that you don't run into too many hiccups. And I'm looking forward to following you and how, how you all grow moving forward. Well, thank you, Lynn, so much for this opportunity to share Hope's Path and share about our passion for serving the young men that we do. It's a great ministry we have, and we've had the opportunity. We've been around for over seven years now. We've been able to serve over 50 young men have called this place home at one point or another, which has just been outstanding. So to give these guys 
a place to call home is incredible. And it's been so awesome to meet so many wonderful people, not only in the Houston greater area, but even through the organization that you lead, Lynn, I've been able to connect with with other organizations as well. So I appreciate what you do over at AOI as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and bring this to a close. For those who have listened to the end, thank you very much. We have a podcast to put out every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link in the menu. But they're also on pretty much any platform that you can find podcasts on. You can find us there, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Thank you very much again. Until next time.